Part Two, Chapter Four of Canada's Hundred Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James O'Connor. Canada's Hundred Days, by John Livesay, Part Two, Chapter Four. Operations, August 28th. It was intended, says Sir Arthur Currie, to continue the battle on August 28th, with the 1st Canadian Division on the right, and the 4th British Division, then coming under my command, on the left. The latter division, however, was unable to reach the battle position in time, as it was undesirable at this stage to employ a fresh division alongside a division which had been already engaged, the orders issued were cancelled, and the battle was continued by the divisions then in the line. In fact, there was no choice in the matter. As we have seen, the 4th Canadian Division was then only moving back from Amiens. The enemy was pushing up reinforcements from both Douai and Cambrai, and evidently meant to throw every available ounce into the scale to check us before the drocourt cant line was reached. He held an immensely strong position on the eastern slopes rising up from the Sensi River, which was continued by the Boiree defense line to the Scarp. He had shown a disposition to attack in force, and the positions we had won offered no facilities for a passive defense. We must either go on or fall back on Warncourt Ridge and Monchy, thus throwing away the fruits of two days' hard fighting and all the advantages of our surprise attack. It was not to be thought of, and so until two fresh divisions could be brought into the line the following night at earliest, there was nothing for it but for our tired troops to press on. The day's operations are described by the Corps commander as follows. At 9 a.m. on August 28th, the 3rd Canadian Division resumed the attack, followed at 12.30 p.m. by the 2nd Canadian Division. The objective for the day was the capture of the Fresnes-Rouvois line, the possession of which was vital to the success of our further operations. On the left, the 3rd Canadian Division had pushed forward capturing the Fresnes-Rouvois line from the Cincy River to north of Boiree notre dame and had secured that village, Jigsaw Wood, and entered Pelves. They had, however, been unable to clear the village of Haucourt. In order to shorten their front and reduce to a minimum the risk of a counter-attack from the north, the 51st Division being still at Rue, our third division opened the day by an assault at seven o'clock on their extreme left when by the capture of pelves they secured that bridgehead over the scarp this was brilliantly carried out by the seventh brigade brigadier general h m dyer whose elements fought their way through an intricate maze of trenches despite the galling fire poured in on them from the heights bordering the river valley further east it was the scene of a very brilliant exploit. Sergeant John Hutchinson of the 49th Battalion of Edmonton, a native of Newcastle, but who enlisted at Edmonton, led the way up an enemy communication trench which projected forward at right angles from their main system. Bombing as he went, 
he fought along the trench to the tea-point where it joined the main trench where he established himself and sent back word that the left of the enemy sector based on the river was now in the air reinforcements were rushed up and our men divided right and left along the main trench and soon were in complete possession across the bare open ground from the east the enemy sent over three massed counter-attacks in order to restore their line but our men turned on them their own trench mortars and the divisional artillery being now apprised of the situation laid down so effective a barrage that the enemy was cut to pieces many dead being left on the field combined with the operations of the ninth brigade brigadier general d m ormond on the divisional right this movement had the effect of turning the flank of the very strong enemy position in jigsaw wood which the previous day had resisted all our efforts the garrison streamed back from the wood across the open plateau and were mown down by the rifle fire of our men in the main trench the range being so short that the shooting was exceedingly effective few of them reached their support line further to the right the ninth brigade pushed ahead and the fifty second battalion new ontario which the previous day had captured bois de vert now stormed boirie village this was the battalion that had taken damery in the amiens show but probably its work on this day will rank in its annals as a greater achievement for the men had lost heavily on the previous day and expected relief that night yet they went in with a will and a cheer and nothing could stand before them since august eighth the battalion had lost over half its effectives on the night of august twenty eighth twenty ninth the third canadian division was relieved by the fourth british division and went out of the line for a brief rest after three days ding-dong riding in which every brigade was used to the uttermost following close on the hard work along the roy road in the amiens show but although not actually in the line the general situation demanded that they should remain in close support where they were still exposed to enemy shell-fire one of the most remarkable features of the present fighting indeed arose from the fact that the enemy immediately before us was in superior strength as during the course of the battle between august twenty sixth and september second he brought into action no less than eleven divisions all of which were beaten in turn coupled with this the fact that at this stage we were but fighting our way up through the fringe of his defence in an effort to grapple with his main line of resistance and it will be seen that the situation of our divisions in the line weakened numerically by their heavy losses incessantly strafed by the enemy's artillery and machine-gun fire and subjected to successive waves of determined counter-attack from fresh troops thrown into his line must have afforded constant anxiety to the corps commander it followed inevitably that an exhausted division so far from going out to rest in a back area when relieved must stand too close up in support ready for any event and thus be exposed to bombardment by day and bombing by night curious indeed was a spectacle presented by every little vale and depression in this area that lay separated by but a single ridge from the battle line 
and the direct observation of the enemy, but which nevertheless was crowded with infantry in support, massed batteries of artillery, heavy and light, trains of supply and field ambulances, with cheek-by-jowl divisional, brigade, and battalion headquarters in dugouts and under canvas. Such an area was included south of the Cambrai Road between Neuville Vitas and Guillemette, and from the commanding village of monchy le lay spread out like a map. It seemed impossible the enemy could fail to note this great concentration, where a division lay within the compass of a good-sized western ranch, and to pour down upon it a devastating bombardment. But his gunners were fully occupied in dealing with our assaults on his front area, and beyond throwing over occasional heavy stuff and maintaining a persistent searching fire along our lines of communication, there was nothing in the way of a concerted artillery demonstration. During these and the next few following days, too, our airmen had so established their supremacy that hostile scouts durst not venture over our lines in daylight. These conditions, however, brought about relatively heavy casualties among troops lying in support, and particularly among our burial parties. The situation on our left, the 3rd Division Front, has been dealt with first because the kickoff took place in the early morning, while on the right, to which we now come, the 2nd Canadian Division did not open its attack south of the Cambrai Road until a little after noon. On the front of the 2nd Canadian Division, the fighting was most severe, says Sir Arthur Curry. The wire in front of the friend Rouvroy line was found to be almost intact. And although at some points the 5th Brigade, Brigadier General T.L. Trimley, had succeeded in penetrating the line, the first objective could not be secured, except one shot length on the extreme right subjected to heavy machine-gun fire from both flanks as well as frontally the attacking troops had suffered heavy casualties which they had borne with the utmost fortitude at nightfall the general line of the second canadian division was little in advance of the line held the night before although a few parties of stubborn men were still as far forward as the wire of the friend rouvroy line Enemy reinforcements were seen dribbling forward all day long. The 5th Brigade staff had suffered severely in the Amiens show when one shell had wounded Brigadier General Ross and killed the Brigade Major and a Staff Major of the 2nd Division present, besides wounding the Brigade Intelligence Officer. Lieutenant Colonel T.L. Trimbley, who had led the 22nd Battalion with such distinction at Corselet and elsewhere, was now acting brigadier, later to be confirmed in that appointment. The brigade, exhausted and depleted though it was by the hard fighting of the previous days, could not have been handled with more resolution, and the response of the men was magnificent, but they were up against an impossible task. All the battalions engaged lost very heavily, the casualties of the brigade during the two days' fighting being about 100 officers and 2,500 other ranks. Every officer engaged of the 22nd Battalion, French Canadians, was a casualty by nightfall of August 28th, including the acting officer commanding, Major A. E. de Buc, 
with the entire headquarters staff of the battalion mostly by shell-fire. Lieutenant Colonel Clark Kennedy of the 24th Battalion, whose brilliant leadership the preceding day has been recounted above, was seriously wounded. He again showed valorous leadership in the attack on the friend Rouvois line and Upton Wood. Though severely wounded soon after the start, he refused aid and dragged himself to a shell hole from which he could observe. Realizing that his exhausted troops could advance no further, he established a strong line of defense and thereby prevented the loss of most important ground. Despite intense pain and serious loss of blood, he refused to be evacuated for over five hours, by which time he had established the line in a position from which it was possible for the relieving troops to continue the advance. Lieutenant Colonel John Wise of the 25th Battalion, Nova Scotia, was wounded severely while leading his men, the command devolving upon Major F. P. Day. Lieutenant Colonel A. E. G. McKenzie, 26th Battalion, New Brunswick, was killed while gallantly rallying his men, and thus every unit of the 5th Brigade lost its commanding officer, besides extremely heavy casualties both among officers and rank and file, losses to the 26th being 9 officers and 350 men. I never saw so many machine guns in my life, said the trench mortar officer of the New Brunswickers, after the battle. They were in three tiers, three miles wide, protected by dense wire, their front plastered by shell fire. We attacked again and again, and in the intervals beat off enemy counterattacks. If we'd had tanks, we'd have been all right. What we want is tanks, tanks, and yet more tanks. It isn't rifles that shoot them guys, said a stretcher-bearer at the advanced dressing station. Pretty well every man that comes down here is done in by machine guns, but most of them are good blighties with clean bullet wounds. A good idea of the character of the fighting throughout the day of August 28th is given by the narrative of a soldier of the 22nd Battalion as told the following day. On Monday, he said, we were in support. Our total strength was about 850 of all ranks, but when 50 men had been detached as stretcher-bearers and burial parties, and a few men from each company left in reserve as a nucleus at battalion headquarters, our battle strength was reduced to 675. Ten o'clock Tuesday morning we moved up to the attack between Guillemap and Cherry Sea, but were held up on the ridge and lost heavily by machine-gun fire as did the 20th and 21st of the 4th Brigade alongside of us. In the afternoon we attacked again, taking our objective, Cherisee, and crossed over the dry creek bed where the Bosch plastered us with fish tails, gas, and machine guns. The colonel and our majors were wounded that day, and next day the battalion was run by subalterns. The command went down to a captain, but at nightfall of Wednesday not an officer was left, and the sergeant-major of one of the companies brought the battalion out. Corselet was child's play to this. It was machine-guns, not shell-fire, and they raked us as we pushed up from Cherry Sea and the river over the ridge. This was about two o'clock Wednesday afternoon. We got our first objective, the chalk-pit, and then went on to our final objective, 
the friend rouvroy line a thousand yards beyond and fifteen hundred from the jumping-off line but they caught us on the wire and only fifteen or twenty reached it we fell back because we had no officer bringing away our wounded only three officers were left of the thirty-five this battalion brought out of the amiens show and they were in reserve up to battalion headquarters came a gunner still carrying his machine-gun with two bullet holes through it hello lieutenant he cried here we are again the glorious twenty-second opening parentheses quote allo lieutenant hain le voilà le glorieux vingt deuxième unquote closing parentheses the glorious twenty-second the battalion will go on the body perisheth but the spirit dieth not at brigade headquarters that evening there came a telephone call from the sergeant major i am holding the line with fifteen men what shall we do carry on until your supports come up the following account is taken from the story of this battalion the epic of the twenty-second by sergeant major corneluc la presse montreal colonel de Buc fell at the head of his men major vanier lost a leg majors routier roy and archambault captain morgan lieutenants lamothe and lemieux such is the entire list of those who had been decorated who were now extinguished all the glory of the past being aureoled in a bloody apotheosis in spite of numerous desperate efforts to bring him in captain morgan remained for thirty-six hours in the sad no-man's land out of the twenty-two officers who took part in this homeric struggle not one was spared of the six hundred shock troops who went into battle only seventy uninjured answered the roll call the position one was held a non-combatant one of those great natures of the elect born for devotion dr albrique marin captain in the medical corps saved the situation he was following the battle as a spectator giving first aid to the wounded when he noticed that our soldiers deprived of their leaders were hesitating in a bound he leapt over the dead the wounded those caught in the wire rallying this handful of brave men still hot from the ardor of combat he carried them along electrifying them and inspiring them to hold their ground among the resounding crashes which churned the riven earth in his own turn he fell victim of gas our chaplain father desjardins worthy successor of the noble father crocheterrier was surrounded while smothered in a gust of evil fumes left of the fifth brigade just south of the arras cambrai road in the valley of the sensee the fourth brigade brigadier general r rennie made its third successive attack having been continuously in the line since the battle opened on monday morning but the fighting strength was much reduced and for this reason the brigade frontage was limited to seven hundred yards attacking across the open slope these fine ontario troops fought their way forward with the utmost gallantry but the men were tired and the wire in front being uncut it was impossible to reach the objective and in face of strong enemy resistance progress was slow casualties to officers were very heavy every battalion was in line and suffered severely 
In addition, the 31st Battalion was sent up in support from the 6th Brigade, which was in reserve. Tales of heroism and sacrifice were common these three days, but one example must suffice. At one time when the right flank of the 18th Battalion, Western Ontario, was held up by machine-gun fire, Lance Corporal W. H. Metcalf, a native of Dennysville, Maine, realizing the situation, rushed forward under intense fire to a tank passing on the left. With his signal flag, he walked in front of the tank, directing it along the trench in a perfect hail of bullets and bombs. The machine-gun strong points were thus overcome, heavy casualties inflicted on the enemy, and a very critical situation relieved. Later, though wounded, he continued to advance until ordered to get into a shell hole and have his wounds dressed. This occurred in the advance of the 4th Brigade on Bison Artois. But the men of the 2nd Canadian Division did not die in vain. If they had not done much to improve the line, they had still held fast and had beaten back all through the day wave after wave of hostile counterattacks intent on driving them back over the Sensee. Our fresh troops, now coming up, were to jump off from the line they had so stoutly maintained, were to carry on the battle into the heart of the enemy's defense, and there establish the Canadian Corps as the first of the Allied troops to break through the Hindenburg system, at no point so formidable or so bitterly defended as here. Their failure glorious as it was was due largely to matters over which they had no control we fought that day with our right flank exposed for the british had not come up to our support it was only late in the day that london troops stormed the village of croisille this village was four thousand yards southwest of our right flank and the fifty sixth british division had fought their way up to its outskirts during the battle of bapaume on august twenty fourth Thus, for four days, this line had remained static, and whereas at the opening of the Battle of Arras on August 26, the general line of the Third Army was considerably in advance of our jumping-off line, it was now refused. On August 26, Scottish and London troops, indeed, on our right flank, had captured the high ground between Croisilles and Hindenelle. In face of strong resistance, chiefly from machine-gun posts, but this did no more than conform to our advance, and there being no corresponding advance on the following days, our right flank was much exposed, particularly from the direction of Hindecourt. The battle, in fact, was throughout a Canadian Corps battle, receiving little or no support on either flank. On the night of August 28-29, the 2nd and 3rd Canadian Divisions were relieved by the 1st Canadian Division on our right and the 4th British Division on our left. This division consisted of first-rate English county troops, and as we shall see, their contribution to the general success of the Canadian Corps through the hard fighting of the following days was in every respect worthy of their reputation. And none could be higher than that of the famous Fighting Fourth, distinguished even among the old contemptibles, veterans of a hundred well-fought fields. They still maintained their name as stormtroops, and in the Canadian Corps found worthy company. End of part two, chapter four. 
Recording by James O'Connor. Randolph, Massachusetts, December 2009.